Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church and make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. Amen. You guys may be seated. You guys may be seated. How many of you guys were here last week? Raise your hand. If you weren't here last week, raise your hand. Okay, quite a few of you guys. All right, you guys can leave because you're not going to understand tonight. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Last week, we actually started on the topic of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to briefly recap, but this is something that builds up. Last week, we started establishing a little bit about the Holy Spirit, and for those that were here, you guys will remember that we kicked it off talking a little bit about that the Holy Spirit is not an it. We started explaining how some people think that the Holy Spirit sometimes is this mysterious power or mysterious mist or this force. May the force be with you. It's nothing like that. The Holy Spirit, we established, is a person. He is a person. He has feelings. He is the third person of the Trinity, three gods in one. We can't define the Trinity. It's something that's too big for us finite people to understand. And I saw a quote this week by Wilbur Smith, and I wanted to share it with you with respect to the Trinity. It says, the man who denies the Trinity will lose his soul. The man who tries to understand the Trinity will lose his mind. It's so true because you can't understand, you can't understand God things with a finite mind. I mean, God is so big. All we have to do is accept it, and it's God and three people. How does it work? I have no idea. But it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each and every one is a person but all three of them make up God. You guys remember the example that we gave in Genesis when God said, let us make man to his image. And there was nobody. Creation still wasn't birth. There was nothing around. The earth was desolate. But he said, let us make man. And who was us? Us was the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We went on to speak also why we need him in our lives. Why in the world is it important for me to have the Holy Spirit in my life? And we talked about the promise that God gave us that he would never leave us lonely. You guys remember that? He's promised to never leave us lonely. When Jesus went up to be with the Father, he said, don't worry about it. I'm not going to leave you orphaned. I'm not going to leave you abandoned. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you every step of the way. We declared and we brought to understanding that when we give our heart to Jesus genuinely, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. Amen? I'm just trying to recap for those that weren't here because it's more than half of you guys. We established also that's humanly impossible to live a God-pleasing life without the Holy Spirit. Some people, that's why they get frustrated trying to live a Christian life because they try to do it in their own strength. And they end up doing, and we used the phrase for this last week, they end up doing the best that they can. And God never called you to do the best that you can. God called you to do better than what you can do. And for that, obviously, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? When we settle for doing the best we can, you're settling for so much less than God created you for. And I don't know about you, but I want to see the greatness of God in everything I touch and everything I speak, in my marriage, in my money. I want to see the greatness of God in my ministry, in my influence. Anybody here with me? In order to be able to see that, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. And we finished also with the story of the apostles of Jesus Christ, who, as you guys know, they worked miracles themselves. They walked with Jesus. They were taught by Jesus. But despite all these amazing privileges that you and me would have wished we had, 
they still needed the promise. They still needed the Holy Spirit. So it was obvious as we finished last Sunday, if there was one conclusion that we reached is what, church? Come on. We need what? I need a little bit more from you guys, all right? Can you guys collaborate with me? We need what? Come on. The Holy Spirit. So I want to pick it off from there. Now that we know that the Holy Spirit is a person, I want to spend the rest of the night sharing with you 12 rules. Today is one of those days that if you have something to write down, this will really benefit you and this will really help you. A piece of paper, a pen, or if you want to do it on your iPad or on your iPhone, we're going to talk about these 12 rules that the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer. Fine, pastor, I already came to Jesus. I gave him my life. I'm a believer. I'm coming to church on Sundays. Now that I have the Holy Spirit, what does he do in my life? I mean, what is he good for? Now that I have him, I need to know. We're going to talk about that. The Holy Spirit, as you guys may know, is the most overlooked and oftentimes misunderstood member of the Trinity. Yet, he does the most hands-on work to help us be more like Jesus Christ every single day. And sometimes the reason why we don't see evidences of the work of God in our lives is because we are ignoring the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? But starting today, we're going to start learning about what the Holy Spirit's role is in my life. Number one, the Holy Spirit regenerates the believer. Everybody say he regenerates the believer. Regeneration talks to me about new birth. I'm going to give you a scripture for each of these, and I'm going to go really quick. If you guys want, you guys could just jot it down and pay attention to the screens, and you can later look it over in your house in your devotional time. It says, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying this, and he's talking to his disciples, and he's saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, and notice that the Spirit is capitalized. It's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? Not the Christmas Spirit, not any other Spirit. Of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, how many of you guys want to enter the kingdom of God? How many of you guys want to have eternal life with Jesus in heaven? Come on. There's another place, but you don't want that option, right? And it's real. Some people think that hell is not real. Hell is real. It's in the Bible. So if you want to be in the kingdom of God, the Bible says that we need to be born of water and of the spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. I mean, everybody here was born. We're all flesh and bones, right? We have life. But now it's talking about a different type of birth. It's talking about a birth in the spirit. And then he said, do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. There's actually a passage in the Bible where a guy came up to Jesus after hearing this. And he said, uh, I'm confused. Uh, I'm already a grown man. Does that mean I'm going to go again into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. This is not a physical birth, but it's a spiritual birth. Everybody say a spiritual birth. You see, when you come to Christ and you give your life to Jesus, things have to start changing. Because the evidences of God living inside of you are going to start showing you that certain things that you were doing probably wasn't the best option for you. And the Holy Spirit is going to start guiding you to start cutting off certain things in your life, certain people even in your life, certain relationships, certain habits in your life. And all that stuff is produced because the Holy Spirit regenerates us. How many say amen? So God wants us to be able to allow the Holy Spirit to regenerate us, to give us a, a new life, if you may. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is that he indwells the believer. 
Tell the person next to you, he lives inside of you. We talked really quickly about this last week in 1 Corinthians 6.19. It says, or do you not know that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Look, there's like four things there that God wants to show us in that small verse. Number one, it's showing us that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You guys came to church tonight, but you know what's God's church? The Holy Spirit's your body. He lives inside of you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then he continues and he says that we've got it from who? From God. God sent the helper. Remember, we talked about that last week. God sent the Holy Spirit to us. We have him in our hearts, in our lives. This is the temple. Our body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, now that we know Christ, we can't just go on about life doing what we want. We don't own ourselves. We belong to God. A God-fearing person, a person that the Holy Spirit has regenerated, I no longer live. Now Christ lives in me. Now that person understands that I need to be guided by the Holy Spirit. I need to make sure that I obey everything God says. He indwells inside the believer. He lives inside of us. We don't belong to ourselves. Like I said many times here, we don't own anything. We don't own anything. And whatever you do own today, the minute you pass away from this earth, it's going to be passed on to somebody else. An heir. You came naked, you leave naked. So all we are are stewards. And we have to understand that everything that God gave us, the reason you're a steward is because you have possessions that belong to somebody else. In this case, God. God has entrusted me with a lot of things. He's entrusted me with a wife. He's entrusted me with a family. He's entrust, he entrusts me with money. And I have to make sure with all those different things that God entrusts me, that I am faithful and I show that I please God according to everything he says. And if I do that, he will continue to bless me. All right, number three. The third thing that the Holy Spirit does is he seals the believer. He seals him. And this goes to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. It says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Come on, put your arm around the person next to you and tell them, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's a big deal. Don't take that lightly. And then 14 says, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. That seal that you have there, that the Holy Spirit seals you, it tells God, look, this is a person, this is a believer. This is the person that might have been a sinner, but now because he accepted the blood of Jesus Christ, has been forgiven of all his sins, and he's been reconciled to you, and he is a believer, and should something happen, he has eternal life. That seal means that you belong to God. The Holy Spirit seals us. Amen? <clears throat> to be sealed means locked up to preserve. That's what seal means, to be locked up to preserve. For example, a wedding ring, right? Not that when you get married, you get locked up. That's not what I'm trying to say. <laughs> we actually had a couple yesterday that got married. Yenlis and Pedro got married yesterday, so shout out to them. When you are sealed, when you seal something, when you go before God like they did yesterday and they told each other their vows and, and they said, I'm gonna, I promise to 
respect this person for the rest of my life and to honor her and to be with her and to protect her. In her case, you know, I promise to, to respect my husband. When you do that, you enter into a covenant. When you come to Christ and you receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit seals you. Man, you belong to God. Amen? The fourth thing that the Holy Spirit does in our lives is he adopts the believer. He adopts us. Romans 8, 14 through 16 says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. And that's the case for many of you guys. You came to church one day. You heard the word of truth. You said, I need Jesus. And you gave your life to God. Well, that's what it's talking about here. The gospel of your salvation in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. In other words, the Holy Spirit is our adoption agency. Yeah? The Holy Spirit is the one who adopts us. Sin separated us from the Father, but the Holy Spirit adopted us back. You see, we had originally a Father, God, but when Adam and Eve sinned, he said, you know what, I don't need you. I'm going to go on my own way. And sin came and separated us. But when we give our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and he adopts us back and he reconciles us to the Father. How many say amen? That's one of his roles. Number five, he also fills the believer. Everybody say he fills us. Acts 2, 4 says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So you could have the Holy Spirit. Since the Holy Spirit is a person and since the Holy Spirit is God, you can never have enough of him. I know a lot of people here have, have been in love before. We have some married couples. We have some courting couples. When you're in love with somebody, you can never have enough of that person. Am I right? Hello, any witnesses? Anybody in love here ever? No? You want to spend every single day in the presence of that person because you're in love. You can't get enough. Well, with the Holy Spirit as well. He is so great. He is so magnificent. When you thought you knew him, you realize that he is so much greater than everything you could possibly know. Amen? Like we said, our finite minds are too small to understand the Trinity, much less the essence of God and how great he is. All the time in the world wouldn't be enough to understand the greatness and the fullness of God and, and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you the minute that you gave your life to Jesus. He sealed you, but then it's a matter of a journey of you seeking to be filled of the Holy Spirit every single day. And last week we talked about that, how every single day we have to ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us, to give us more of him, to understand them more, to connect us with God's will for our lives for that particular day. How many did that this week? Raise your hand. All right, awesome, awesome. It's so important to put into practice what we're learning here. He fills the believer. You can never have enough of the Holy Spirit. The sixth thing that the Holy Spirit does he is the author of the scriptures. The Bible that you're holding in your hands, he is the author of every single word, <coughs> excuse me, that was written in that book. 2 Peter 1.20 says, no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. No piece, not even one word of that Bible that you're holding in your hands was written by a person that said, oh, you know what? After eating or after waking up from their nap, said, you know what? I feel inspired to write this out of my own inspiration. No, no, no. 
It wasn't for private interpretation. It was the Holy Spirit coming upon people, God speaking to people. As a matter of fact, there were some physical or some literal applications to this because as you guys know, the whole book of Revelation was God calling John and telling him, John, I'm going to show you some things. I need you to write down everything you see. And John was like, all right, let me get paper and pen. And he started writing down everything that God started showing him about the end of the world, about the end times. That's the book of Revelation. And every single prophet, every minor prophet, every psalmist, every single word or scripture, even the letters of the Apostle Paul to the churches was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So everybody say, the Holy Spirit is the author of the scriptures. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the impulse of man, but by men moved by the Holy Spirit who spoke from God. Just so that you know that it's inspired by God because sometimes you hear testimonies. I've heard them from some of you guys that you were reading the Word on a particular day and God spoke to you in such a personal way. Has that ever happened to you? Raise your hand if it's happened to you. You were in a situation, and instead of going crazy, you opened the book to see what God had to say about it. And you started praying, and, and you opened it right on a verse that God spoke pertinent to your situation. And I wrote down a few cases in the past of people that experienced that just to prove that the Holy Spirit and God is the author of the Word of God. On June 27, 1819, Adoniram Judson baptized his first convert in Burma. This guy was a congressionalist for the United States in the late 1700s, early 1800s. And then he went and he served to his death, 37 years missionary in Burma. His wife, Anne Hasseltine, described how Mount Now, I think that's the way the guy's name's pronounced, I'm not sure, had responded to the scripture. A few days ago, I was reading with him Christ's Sermon on the Mount, and he was deeply impressed and unusually solemn. These words, he said, take hold on my liver and they make me tremble. God spoke through Isaiah the prophet 2,700 years ago and said, This is the man to whom I will look, he that is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. So this guy was reading something that was written 2,700 years ago that God had spoken to Isaiah, but as he read it, he started feeling the same thing Isaiah felt 2,700 years ago. And that's the beauty of the Word of God. It's alive. The Bible says that the Word of God is truth. It's power. It's alive. It's not like reading a Harry Potter novel or, or reading any other book in the bookstore. It's life because God spoke it. And everything that God speaks is life. For Martin Luther, a miserable monk, the light broke in through Romans 1.17. Notice how God has spoken to different people, and these are great men in the history of the church. But notice how God speaks to them in diff using different verses. Romans 1.17, he said, Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith. Thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. You see, one verse sometimes is all it takes for you to get the revelation of what God is trying to show you. Jonathan Edwards, an incredibly used man of God, for him it was 1 Timothy 1.17. He says, 
the first instance that I remember of that sort of inward sweet delight in God and divine things that I have lived much and since was on reading these words. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Just a simple verse that you and me could probably be reading one day and just skip over like any other verse. But man, when you stop to think about it and meditate and you allow the Holy Spirit to do its work in your life and to speak to you through his word, he said that a new sense quite different from anything that he had ever experienced before came upon him. Never any words of scripture seemed to me as these words did. From century to century, from Egypt to Germany to the United States to New England, the Bible has been drawing people to Christ daily and making them new. How many say amen? I'm sure you have your own experience of how God has spoken to you through the word of God. And you know what? If you haven't, don't worry about it because you could start today. The Bible is so important. It's so rich. And when you read it and when you start meditating on it, you realize that it's not just any ordinary book. Because God speaks down to your need. He speaks to your personal situations. The Bible says that the word discerns us, what we're going through. How many say amen? So who's the author of the word and of the scripture? Holy Spirit. If you said God, you weren't incorrect. Whoever said it over there. And God is the Holy Spirit. Okay, number seven. He interprets the scripture also. The Holy Spirit interprets the scripture. 1 Corinthians 2. Verse 9 through 14, it says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Can anybody get encouraged with this verse? For those that love God. And you know, sometimes we get criticized because we're in church too much, and we get criticized because we give money unto God. The people that live in the flesh don't understand the things of the Spirit. And we'll get to that in just a bit. For those that love God, and despite what people think, you're giving God your best. The Bible says that God has prepared for us things that eyes have not seen or ears have heard or have entered into the heart of man. How many say amen to that? How many are looking forward to that? You know, sometimes we get surprised for the amazing things that man creates here. You see those programs, you know, where they show the houses of the rich, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even know that existed. Some paradises, some resort destinations, right? Bora Bora, my gosh, you know, the overwater bungalows. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I'd love to take a week there, you know, just to relax and, and, you know, just wake up from my nap and just take a dip, right? And just in the Pacific Ocean, no big deal. God says that no eyes, no ears has heard or has seen the things that God has prepared for you guys. Amen. Can we give God a round of applause? <laughs> and then it continues saying, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. You see, you, there's a lot of things that you have, you just don't know because you haven't been connected to the Spirit of God. You could be going through a situation of need and know that you already have it. When you're connected to the Holy Spirit, you know that through faith, it's mine. I'm just playing the waiting game. I'm just waiting for the time of God, but I know that that's mine. God spoke to me. I know that that's going to be mine. I know that God's going to open the door. I know that God's going to resolve the situation. Amen? And that's what it's saying. God has revealed them to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? I mean, only you know your most deepest desires and thoughts. There's certain thoughts that you share with people, but there's other thoughts that you don't share with anybody else that are very personal. Am I right? 
Yeah, if we're all honest, we'll say yes, amen, pastor. We all have things inside that we don't share with anybody. And that's what it's saying here. And he compares that to God. Even so, no one knows the things of God, the desires of God, the, the longings of God, except the Spirit of God. And what is the Spirit of God? Holy Spirit. And where does the Holy Spirit live? Okay, so now we're getting somewhere. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. These things we also speak, not in words with man's wisdom teaches, but with the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. You see, that's why you can't just settle to being a common person because you're going to miss out on everything that the Holy Spirit is telling you and is sharing with you and is giving you. For they are foolishness, foolishness sorry, to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, when you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you create this thing and you start walking in what we call discernment. There's certain things that you start discerning and you start feeling and your spirit connects with the spirit of God. You start understanding how God feels and you start understanding what God has for your life. And you start connecting with God in a deeper level and he starts sharing you things that eyes have not seen, right? Things that you haven't even fathomed and you're like, God, are you serious? You sure you... That's what you want me to do? That's what you have for me? I don't think I'll ever be able to amount to this. And, and he, he'll confirm me. He'll say, yes, this is what I have for you. But if we don't connect, if we just live like the natural man, we just, you could even come to church for all your life, but if you don't have a personal relationship and you don't seek the Holy Spirit, you're missing out on so much. And I know we say this a lot in church, but man, this is like the heartbeat of a believer, man, connecting with the Spirit of God. Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you're missing out on so much more. Amen? God wants to give us power. He wants to bless us with things that our eyes have never seen, our ears haven't heard, or has come upon the heart of man. How many say amen? So we need discernment to know the things that have been freely given to us by God. It's the Holy Spirit. We can't just read the Bible with our minds. The Holy Spirit brings revelation, and that means he gives life to the Bible. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, write this down. It says, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I always tell people, when you're going to go read the Bible, do a prayer before you read the Bible and say, Holy Spirit, make this word come to life. Because this is, sometimes you read about things that happened so long ago to certain people, but God wants to connect that to your personal situation. And God wants you to receive something out of what you're going to read. And that's why it's so important that you be able to discern what the Holy Spirit wants to tell you. I've had people tell me, Pastor, I don't read the Bible because I don't understand it. And you have to ask the Holy Spirit to be able to help you understand it because he is the helper, right? He helps us understand the Word of God. Here, you could add that one to the list. So the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. If you're just settling for reading the Bible, let me see what I Okay, I read the Bible today. I feel holy. I could go to work. It's not about that. It's about what you get out of it. Because God wants to speak to you, not just when you come to church on Sundays, but every single day of your life. He has knowledge for you. He has wisdom. He, has, he wants to impart things over your life. He wants to probably answer a petition that you have or a longing that you have, a desire, dream, something with the word. And if you're not connected to him, you'll just let it slip away and you don't even know what happened. All right, got to keep going. Number eight, write this down. 
The Holy Spirit guides the believer. Everybody say he guides them. I tried to find something that I could relate this to, and I thought about Siri. How many of you guys use Siri to find locations or for anything? Raise your hand. No? Some of you guys? All right. Let me just see if, uh, if you guys could hear this. Siri, find the closest Italian restaurant. Okay. Check it out. Manhattan Pizza Place. I don't recommend it. Well, yeah, it has four stars. <laughs> if I happen to be hungry and I wanted some pizza, you know, I could go to Manhattan Pizza Place, which is less than a mile away. Siri can help me, guide me to get to this place. I could ask Siri other questions, for example. Siri, where am I? You're on 6050 West 20th Avenue, Hialeah, Florida. If I was lost, Siri could guide me. She knows where I am. Siri, where did I put my keys? It will probably be in the second to last place you look. Does that help? <laughs> if I wanted to get into beatboxing, Siri could probably help me in that too. Beatbox. Here's one I've been practicing boots and cats and boots and cats and boots and cats and boots and cats and boots. I could do this all day. Cats and boots and cats and boots and cats. Last one. Siri, when will the world end? As long as you keep me charged, we should be just fine. I just wanted to prove that Siri doesn't know everything. <laughs> but you know, God does know. I have three verses for you just to show you how the Holy Spirit guides the believer. In Romans 8, 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Because sometimes we say, oh, I'm a son of God because I come to church. I'm a son of God because I gave money to the church. I'm a son of God because of this, because of that, because of, and you fill in the blank. But what does the Bible say? What, is, what does the truth say? The truth says that as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So would you consider that it's important to be led by the Spirit of God? Raise your hand if you want to be a son of God. Yeah. Pastor, isn't everybody a son of God? No, everybody's a child of God, but a son is very different. So how am I a son of God? When I am led by the Spirit of God. Man, this is something that every single believer needs to be adamant about, right? I need to make sure that every single day I am led by the Spirit of God, that he guides me, that he leads me in making decisions and moving. I, I see sometimes people make decisions, and I ask, did you pray about this? I'm like, no, I just, I don't, I don't want to bother God with that. You know what I mean? Just, it's pretty obvious to me. I'm like, no, 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 no. Take some time. Pray. Because you need to be led by the Spirit, because one bad decision could sometimes cost you years, decades. One bad decision, marrying the wrong person, come on, right? A lot of heartache, a lot of time, a lot of money. So it's important to be led by the Spirit and consult God with things in life. It's important. Galatians 5.16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, pastor, it's so hard. It's so hard living in holiness and 
you know, how, how can people not succumb to temptation? How can people overcome? Well, right here. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When you're filled of the Spirit, you know what? You have so much of God in you and so little of you that obviously you're going to be able to overcome temptation. You're going to walk like God. You're going to talk like Jesus. You're going to do what Jesus would do if he would be in your shoes right now in 2016. So walk in the Spirit. How do we do that? Well, we spoke about that last week, right? We get connected with God. We start our day with the Holy Spirit. We start our day with God and saying, God, lead me, lead me, talk to me. I, I need to hear your voice today. Keep me from making wrong decisions, etc. Never ignore the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Tell the person next to you, never ignore. Never ignore him. You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to prompt you to do something that is going to be totally the opposite of what you were trying to do. And you know what we try to do sometimes? We think we know it all, and we try to butter up the Holy Spirit, and we try to convince him that our way is better than his. It's important that when the Holy Spirit tells you something that you obey, because when you do it, you'll be blessed. Amen? Number nine, he anoints the believer. Anointing means releases enabling power and sets aside the believer for the work of the Lord. That's what anointing is. Enabling power where God sets aside the believer for the work of the Lord. In 1 John 2.27, it says, But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. It's talking about the Holy Spirit anointing the believer and separating him for the work of God, right? For the work of the Lord. John spent a lot of close times with Jesus in multiple places in the Bible. You see that John would lay his head on the side of Jesus. This is pertinent to the way that they used to eat back then, right? They used to eat in the, on the floor. And, and John would always love to question Jesus and go deep into certain topics, he was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. He was one of the three closest. And he would always ask Jesus these deep questions, right? And he, he wanted revelation. He wanted understanding. He wanted God to take him deeper. So John got a lot of revelation from being so close to Jesus. We're almost there. Number 10, write down, he, the Holy Spirit sanctifies the believer. He sanctifies the believer. In Romans 15, 16, it says that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Everybody say the Holy Spirit sanctifies the believer. He sanctifies us. And number 11 and 12, the last two, I left for the end because I think that it's two of the most important ones. <coughs> and also because we're going to be continuing on this and building upon each of these points in the next couple of weeks. Number 11 is he provides fruit for the believer's life. The Holy Spirit provides fruit for the believer's life. He brings the fruit of God's character into our lives. And next week we're going to get a little bit deeper into that. So I don't want to give it, give it all away today. But go with me to Galatians chapter 22. I'm sorry, Galatians 5, verse 22 and verse 23, just to get an, get an idea. 
It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Now, I want to point a few things here. Notice that it doesn't say the fruits with an S. There's not a lot of fruits. It's just one fruit. When you got the Holy Spirit, all these things are going to be visible in your life. There's going to be joy. There's going to be love in your life. There's going to be peace. I remember back then, old school in, in, in the church, people that had the Holy Spirit were supposedly the people that spoke most in tongues. Weird tongues, and wow, that guy has the Holy Spirit, but then didn't have any peace, didn't have any joy, didn't have any long-suffering. And the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit, the way I know that somebody has the Spirit of God inside of them, is that they're always joyful, they love people, they have peace, long-suffering, they're kind, goodness, faithful, gentleness, they have self-control. How many say amen? Amen. Let me say no more. We'll leave that for next week, all right? But we're going to be talking a little bit more in depth about this. And this is something that should be evident in our lives as believers, right? As we grow in the Lord and we, you know, get filled with the Holy Spirit, obviously there's going to be fruits, right? You plant a seed, the tree starts growing, and the tree starts bearing fruit, and people start eating of the fruit. If the tree doesn't have fruit, then something's wrong, or no? Remember we talked about Jesus and the, and the fig tree when he cursed it? We talked about the fig tree and how Jesus cursed the fig tree. Why? Because it didn't have any fruit. In our lives as people of God, if we have the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit need to be popping up. People must see the joy in our lives. People have to see the love inside our lives, peace, long-suffering, etc. And the last thing that I want to share with you today is that the Holy Spirit empowers the believer. Everybody say, he empowers me. Maybe you're in need of a little bit of power tonight. Maybe your strength has been, I don't know, consumed by the different afflictions that you're going through or different situations that are threatening you. But Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So one of the things that the Holy Spirit does when we give him space in our lives and we connect with him on a daily basis is he gives us power. We're not going to be people that we're going to think little of ourselves, that, you know, we're never going to have faith to be able to overcome and take possessions of certain things and overcome sicknesses or things of that sort. We receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us and we shall be witnesses. That power will cause you to be witness to other people. So that's a sign also that people have the Holy Spirit and are filled with the Holy Spirit. They receive power and they are witnesses. They tell other people, look, this is what you need. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the power of God over your life. It doesn't matter if you're sick. If you come and you meet my God, my God will heal your sickness. That's being a witness of the power of God. If you're, you know, messed up in your marriage, you know what? Come because God can restore your marriage and you're being a witness of what God can do. Everybody say power. He gives the believer the ability to do what God destined you to do. Power manifests its, its, itself in the believer through gifts, right? Through the giftings. And there's only one Holy Spirit, but there's many operations. And we'll get into that later on. Before I close, something interesting that I read on the Holy Spirit is that Pentecost in the Old Testament was the day that God gave Israel, the Ten Commandments. You guys remember that? 
He gave Moses the Ten Commandments while he was up talking to him in the mount. But Pentecost in the New Testament was the day that God sent the Helper, the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament, it was about the law. But now in the New Testament, Pentecost is when God sent the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And guess what? We still have him. We could, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have access to God every single day of your life. You could connect with God in a supernatural way. You could hear what heaven is saying about you on a daily basis. Doesn't that excite you? Don't you know that God is speaking to you every single day? And sometimes we miss connecting that because we'd rather be on our phones. We'd rather sleep in and snooze, right, instead of connecting with God. And God has so many things that he's speaking to us. Really quickly, other things about the Holy Spirit that we didn't get to cover much, but the Bible says that you can grieve the Holy Spirit because, remember, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. And the same way that somebody could offend you, you can offend the Holy Spirit. And that's in Ephesians 4.30 if you want to look it up in your house. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can even lie to the Holy Spirit. In the case of Ananias and Sapphira in the Bible, the Holy Spirit, among other things, he does so much more. I just gave you the top 12. But really quickly, the Holy Spirit also draws us to Jesus, John 6, 44. The Holy Spirit helps us pray. Sometimes we're like, oh, I don't even know how to pray. Well, ask the Holy Spirit. He helps us, and he shows you how to pray. That's in Romans 8, 26 and 27. The Holy Spirit teaches us also to see and hear what God wants us to see. And you can see that in John 14, 26, Psalms 119, 18. You understand this with your head? You believe with your heart, but then you live it out with your hands. You apply it, and you live it out. The Holy Spirit is the most precious gift that God has left us. The most precious gift you could ever have. He guides you in every single thing that you need. He is there to lift you up when you, when you need strength. He's there to remind you about the scripture that God, you know, inspired people to write down. For that situation that you're going through, to be able to give you hope. And you know, no wonder sometimes we could even be coming to church and still leave, live very discouraged because we're not connected to what's flowing from the mouth of God. We're just connected to what our eyes see all around. And we're so, we're so into living by what our eyes see. And I shared a little bit about this on Thursday, then living about what God is speaking to us and what God says through His Word. You see, the Bible says that people of faith don't live by sight. True people of faith don't live by what's in front of their eyes or what you're seeing. We live by what we hear from God. But if you're not hearing anything from God, then you're going to be stuck with living with what you see. And that's why sometimes what you see is not too good. But what you see is not always what God has planned for your life. And sometimes if you connect with God and you start hearing from the Holy Spirit that God is for you, you know, they kicked you out and they fired you from your job, you're thinking that's a bad thing, and God's like speaking to you and he's saying, no, 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 I told the boss to fire you. Because if not, you would have never left that job because I have something better prepared for you. And, and sometimes you don't see how God works, and because you don't take time every single day to connect with God, you miss out. You miss out. But I don't know about you. I don't want to miss out on anything. That's why I can't spend one day without getting up and listening from God and saying, God, this day, important, speak to me, speak to me, speak to me. You know what? I want to encourage you, and I know some of you guys did it last week, encourage you, start a relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
Start talking. It might be weird, especially if you're new and you're not, you don't pray much. You're not used to praying much. You know, talking to somebody that you can't see. But persevere. Keep doing it. Talk to him like he's your friend. Sometimes we, we get all religious and we say, oh, great Lord of the universe. And we start tone it down a notch, you know, and just be real with God. It's just like if my, my son comes up to me, and, and sometimes we repeat the same prayer over and over. And it's, Imagine if my son, every time he sees me, he says, oh, great dad, I am so great to see you. It's so good today. Are we going to eat today? Thanks for giving me food today and for feeding me and for putting me to sleep. And every day he says the same thing. After 30 days, I'm going to say, something's wrong with my son. i got to take him to the doctor. And sometimes that's what we do with God. We're like parrots. And there's no realness in our relationship. And it's just, right? It's just repetitive. You know, be real with God. Tell him what you're going through. It may sound right. It, may, it doesn't matter. God just wants you to be yourself. And just tell him what you're going through, what you need. Tell him how you feel. Maybe, you know, sometimes we tell our feelings to other people. And we share what we feel with our friends and with people that probably don't even know how to help us. Or sometimes the advice that they give us is the wrong kind of advice. You know, go to God first and say, Holy Spirit, help me in this situation. Because in the end, he is the helper. He is the counselor. That's another name that the Bible gives the Holy Spirit. He's the counselor. He knows what you're going through. And he lives inside of you. He, he knows. And he knows the Spirit of God. Remember we wrote that verse? Who knows God, the thoughts of God, but the Spirit of God? And guess what? His Spirit lives inside of you. So he could take the thoughts of God and just implant them inside of you. And man, let me tell you, God has never lost a battle. There's not a negative thought. There's, and when you start thinking like God, when you start, nothing can stop you. You could have a bad day. I'm going to recuperate everything I lost. I know that I wasn't meant to lose, but to win. And all that is available. And one of the greatest gifts, or the greatest gifts, that a believer has is the Holy Spirit. Stand on your feet.